Good morning. It's good to be together today. Feels like every week we're kind of getting a little more closer to full strength, so it, it feels good to be here. I Kind of like Noah said last week, I was, I was glad that this didn't have to end up being uh, done toward a video camera and, and a YouTube video, so it's not uh, nearly as nerve-wracking that way, I think, but uh, it's good to be here nonetheless. We, I started doing a study on this a few weeks back as we were kind of thinking towards getting back together, and, uh, and then Noah gave his study, and I kind of panicked last week that, I, that we were going to be total duplicates, and I'm not the kind of guy that can redo it in one week, so uh, I was glad that I think the content of the studies is different. He talked about kind of going through the valleys in life and, you know, the hard times with that and how we overcome that, and so if you I would also normally advise you, if you didn't get to hear that, to, to go back and listen to it, but I was running sound booth last week and messed that up and didn't get it recorded. So um, ask him for notes if you didn't get to hear that and go study that. We're not, we're not going to talk as much this morning about dealing with the difficulty aspect of this, but maybe more so just what are some lessons that we can learn as we think about this challenging situation that we've all kind of participated in and dealt with these last uh, couple of months. And so I hope that you'll be benefited by um, studying this this morning and um, give you some things to kind of think about and reflect on and, and maybe look, look toward in the future as we have other challenging times in our lives and things that we deal with that you can use these things and we can be maybe better prepared for them when, when, when they come around the next time and, and um, really help us as we especially focus on being Christians during this time. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. You know, a lot of the Bible talks about kind of the plight of Christians and people that uh, attempt to serve God in their lives. And I like this verse this morning as he talks about the sufferings that we have in life, and certainly those can take many different forms and um, hit us many different ways um, and be very different in terms of the level of su- suffering. Noah talked about that last, w- that last week as well, how you know, th- this has affected people in many different ways. And some people, you know, if you ask somebody that's actually contracted this virus, they're going to have a very different opinion uh, about it than someone who's completely healthy does. I have very little fear about this actual virus, uh, but there's people that it's, you know, it's, that are, it's completely consuming them. And so, you know, I'm sensitive to the fact that this has affected everybody in many different ways. But regardless of how this has affected you, you can't deny the fact that it's had some effect on your life in some way. And I think as we look around at the, at the scale of things in our lifetimes that have impact on the world as a whole, you know, I think back to 9-11 a little bit and um, as an event in my life that, that I remember the whole world kind of stopping and talking about that. And I know some people that are older than that might say things like Pearl Harbor or some other event like that. There was an article I was reading this week about somebody that was born very early, and they had all the things that they had witnessed, you know, through back to World War II and the Great Depression and all those things. And so there's certainly events like that that we have in life that we'll always remember and always think about. And I think the important thing is that we figure out a way to learn from those things because they're going to happen. Something's going to happen in your life that's going to be a memorable, memorable event and we're going to have to deal with. So I've, I've kind of identified five things this morning that I want us to think about as lessons learned from this. Um, and I, again, I hope that you can use these to 
not only help get you through the rest of this thing for however long it lasts, but also think about in the future. Number one is, I think there's a lot of value in being forced to reflect on situations and being forced to reflect on your own life. You know, as we think about the fear and the anxiety part of this, you know, again, it's affected everybody in different ways. You know, it's it's not something that I'm laying down at night just worried about this virus and what it's going to do to us. But I'm worried about the situation. I'm worried about when we're going to get back to full strength at church. I'm worried, you know, previously worried about when we're going to get back to church. You know, people are worried about jobs and the impact it's had on the economy. You know, a lot of folks have lost jobs over the situation. A lot of that has had kind of a waterfall effect on people and what's going on in their lives. But sometimes it's good for us to kind of be forced into this scenario where we think about things. It's good for us to reflect on these things. And often challenging times cause that, right? Before COVID, we're all going about our lives and thinking about all the things we worry about on a daily basis, school and work and all of the social activities that we had going on and the things that we participate in and the things the kids have going on in school and all of that stuff. And then all of a sudden that door was shut, literally overnight, and it all stopped. And so what else do you do? You're kind of forced into a situation where you have to think about those things. You're living life in a way that none of us have ever really done before. You're not allowed to interact the way that we're all used to interacting. And there's a forced reflection that I think can lead us to some benefit and to some positive outcomes if we'll, if we'll do that and not get caught up in you know, the things we normally get caught up in worrying about and thinking about and reflecting on these things. I came across this chapter in Psalms chapter 46, and if I've read this before, it's been a long time. It wasn't top of mind for me, but I thought it was very applicable and very encouraging chapter to read at this time. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That last part, be still and know that I am God, that's kind of one of the, you know, the famous kind of sign verses that you see, inspirational signs and things like that about, um, that have that verse quoted on there. And I think as I was reading this, I was thinking about the Psalms in general and how if you think about what, those, what all of those readings reflect and the things that he talks about in those and how often that's exactly what they are. It's a reflection. You know, many times David has gone back and kind of lamented all the mistakes that he made in his life. And that, and that forced reflection has moved him more to an attitude of looking at what God has done for him in that. And I think we would really be missing something through all of this if we didn't do some of that and we didn't think about our own lives and reflect on our own lives and what we've done 
in response to things that have happened in our lives. And then if that didn't produce something in us that forced us to reflect on what God has meant for us in that time and in this time, this present time. And I like how he said that he is a very present help in trouble. And we should never lose sight of the fact that God is always near and he is present. And regardless of how tough these times get and all the problems that we think we have in them, that he's here for us. When he, said, when he uses the word be still there, it, it means to relax. And in some cases with this, that's been forced upon us. We've been forced to be still a little bit, you know, to, to almost to the extent where we're going crazy a little bit, right? But everybody has had extra time to give thought in this process. What's occupied those thoughts may differ from people to people, but you've been forced to give thought to something in this process. You can't help but have had extra time to do that. How comforting it is to know that he's very present for us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse number 6, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that tested the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the reflection should lead to, correct? He says, you know, you're going to be tested, and the, re- the product of that being tested is going gonna, is gonna to lead to results that are, that are even more so, and he uses gold as the example, right? How gold's melted or what all the things that they do to purify it in fire. And this has more value than that. Now, he's talking about persecution there more so than a pandemic-type situation, but trials are trials. However you want to define the trial in life, there's going to be something else besides a pandemic that's going to be a trial for us in life. And being tested in those trials should produce a stronger faith in us. And as we reflect on the things that are going on in this, let's make sure that our faith is increasing and that our faith is growing. And let's make sure that we can be found to have praise and glory and honor and the things that he's asked of us. And let's be sure that our faith is genuine because that's what it's testing is the genuineness of our faith. The faith will crack if it's not genuine. We think back to the, to the great heroes of faith. And as we read through that chapter, at the end of that chapter, at the end of this, this passage specifically, it kind of caught my attention relative to this study. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But, as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. As we reflect on this situation, I think we should really think about what our goals are and what our true desires are in life and how those line up with the things that should matter to a Christian, how those line up with the things that God has asked us to set our hearts on and set our minds on. You know, we, we talk about these many men and women, these heroes of faith, and there's been many lessons on the actions that they took, and people break down the individual characteristics of each one and why their faith was so important and what the, the events that occurred in each of these stories, why that was so important to producing the kind of faith that, that God talks about historically. But I think the key to that is what he says there, where their heart and their mind was. He talks about they desired a homeland, And if that would have been the homeland that they had come out of, that they had opportunities to return to that. 
we're gonna have an opportunity to return to the way things were. Life's gonna get back to normal at some point, whatever normal is. And we're gonna have jobs to go to and entertainment to fill our lives with and movies and concerts and sports and all that stuff is gonna come back at some point. And we'll have an opportunity to go back to that. But the kind of homeland that we should desire, those shouldn't be affected by anyway. He said their home, their home was set on a heavenly, uh, their heart was set on a heavenly home. And that's why they had the faith that they did in these times that are troubling. And that's what we should learn from as well as we reflect on this. Let's make sure that we desire the heavenly homeland. Not, not an earthly one that we all are well aware of now can so easily be altered or taken away or destroyed. Number two, it ought to be painfully clear to us that you're not in control of everything. I'm kind of a control freak in my own life. I've always felt like I've had things under control. There's, there's events that happen in life that show you otherwise, and, and if you haven't had that event in your life, maybe this is number one for you. Many of you with life experience have probably had others where this doesn't feel as quite as shocking to you, and I think part of, you know, part of the response to that, how people have responded to this situation reflects that, that people have dealt with in many cases, worse things than this. In many cases, troubling times, but some cases not as bad as this. So everybody's response to this, I think, is a little bit different, but we really ought to understand that we are not as in control of near as much as we think we are. I've, I've used an example before of the, of the famous Mike Tyson quote, if you want to call it that, where he, somebody talked to him about somebody having a plan in a fight against him, and he said, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. And that's kind of what COVID is, right? It's a punch to the face of everybody. It's, it's shocked the entire world. You think about how fragile jobs and economies and governments and health and all these things are at the end of the day, how fragile this stuff is. You know, whether you believe this is a true pandemic, whether you're one of the conspiracy theorists that think it was invented in a lab, whether you think it's a really dangerous situation or whether you think the media has overblown it. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. The truth is you're not in that much control over any of it. Even if it is a conspiracy theory, we're all falling right into it. And so we need to have a good perspective on what we control in this life. And I think when our perspective is on God, it doesn't really matter the other stuff that we control. It doesn't matter that we look at a 401k plan and it's been wiped out by this crazy thing and you can't figure out why, what the real reason is. You know, people have had certainly real and lasting impact has come from this. People are losing jobs. A lot of people are having health problems because of it and things like that. There's not a single person that this hasn't had an effect on though. In Luke chapter 12, He said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, 
nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Every time I read this passage of scriptures, I can't help but wonder if this is the, the single biggest command that Christians disobey. And not, not that it matters or that if there's a scorecard on that or anything, but we read this and we teach about this and we preach about this and we tell people to be like this and then we live our lives in a way that doesn't reflect that we're like this. We're anxious and we worry and we, we tro- we're troubled over all these things going on. And he says we shouldn't be worried about them. It doesn't mean we should be totally flippant and have total disregard for health or economics or any of that other stuff as well. But it's not stuff that we should dwell on. And I think that's a lesson in control. You know, he talks about all these things that seem so minute in the overall scheme of things, how the grass grows and how the flowers are arranged in the field and all, how the birds eat and all this stuff that we never give a second thought to. But if God gives thought to these, how much, is he, how much more thought is he gonna give to us? And we've got all these people that are governments and leaders and at all the various levels, civil on up to national and really even world governments at this point that are trying to figure out solutions to problems and they are not in control of this situation. They think they are, they think they know what's best, but today we're supposed to wear a mask and tomorrow we won't be supposed to wear a mask, you know? You're supposed to wear a pair of gloves, but the problem is then you touch something and you touch something else and it's on the gloves and you still give it to them. People don't know. Nobody has any real answers in this situation. There's a lot of smart people attempting to do that, but at the end of the day, they have very little control over these things. And if if you've never had that Mike Tyson event in your life, this is probably it. If you don't consider this a Mike Tyson event, getting punched in the mouth, something's gonna happen in your life, whether it's COVID or not that's going to shock you at some point and have these things in perspective. Understand that you don't have full control over that situation and use that to develop a godly mindset about it. Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter two, um, that whole chapter pretty much is a prayer that she's saying. If you remember back to that story, how she was unable to have children and she longed for that and she grieved over that and she prayed to God for that and God blessed her with a son who was named Samuel. And in chapter two, when Samuel was old enough to wean, she dedicated him to the Lord and took him up to the house of the Lord to, to do that and dedicate him. And she uses the words, loan, you know, she's loaning him to the Lord, basically. And chapter two is a prayer of hers. And listen to what she says in that. And, and think about that in the context of the troubles that she had experienced with that. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Isn't that a really good perspective to have on this? That's somebody that understands the lack of control she had in her specific situation and understands who really has the control over the things in life. And I think her perspective on that is really good for us as we can learn from how dedicated she was in that. Let's understand this, how really how little we control. And I think that's something that we can really glean from this situation. Hebrews chapter four and verse number 14. Since then we have a a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. I think we all understand that we can't do this ourselves and that understanding that we have a Savior that has dealt with the things that we deal with is something that we should all be able to look to and find, and find that rest and let us draw near to his throne in a time of need. Number three, again, another thing that has been painfully obvious to me is, is the amount of vanity that exists in our lives through this. When I think about all the things that I feel like have been taken away from me and I start to kind of list those down, church is about the only one that has any real significant meaning. The Cubs aren't playing right now. That's been painful, but I'm going to get over that, and the Cubs are going to play again at some point. All the various you know, things that we do, it's, it's tough on the kids not going to school. Some of them maybe not so, but many of them it is. They're not seeing their friends. They're not getting to do the things that they would want to do with the kids from church. A lot, there's a lot of vanity in our lives, and I've, I've seen all the Facebook stuff around people that think God has specifically caused this in order to rip all of these idols out of our lives. And I'm not willing to go that far in my analysis of that, but I think it would be foolish on our part if we didn't look at that and say, that exists. There are some idols in our lives, and now that we have the time to reflect on this and see what's important to us, we should rip some of those idols down. And I think that's a really good lesson that we can learn. Think about all the things that are important to us. You know, they, the, the stadiums are shut down. The civic centers are shut down. There's no concerts. The movie theaters are shut down. All of these various things, economies are shut down. There's, there's nothing that you could define as important to you right now that hasn't been shut down in that sense. And I think there's a really good lesson for us in that, that we can live without those things. We can go for a significant period of time without those things at this point. I mean, at this point, I feel like I'm wasting money on the cable bill. You turn it on and it, there's nothing that was, you know, that's been in the last six months. It's all Michael Jordan versus whoever in, you know, 1990-whatever, and it's all the reruns and the sitcoms are all getting replayed again. It's all, there's nothing new on it. And these people are struggling because we're such an entertainment-driven society that people don't know what to do. And that should push us toward God. That should push us to realizing all these idols that we built in our lives and how we should rip those down and go back to him. Solomon maybe knew that as much as anybody. And as we read this passage, I, I think it kind of hits home a little bit for us. He's, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he said, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself, I made great I made myself gardens and parks. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I, brought male and, I bought male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. 
So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. As I said, I don't believe God caused COVID-19 as a, as a reaction to these things. I don't suppose we could ever know for sure other than going to the scriptures and seeing how God interacts with man and the, the things that go on. But we would be foolish if we were to, to get through this situation and not reflect on what idols are in our lives and what things are on our lives that are ultimately just vanities. He said he tried it all. And at the end of the day, it was like trying to catch the wind. It was impossible to do. And of course, we know how he summed up his thoughts on that, that the, that the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. And we should learn that from this situation. Number four, drawing closer to God. If you're a person of faith before this began, I don't see how this could do anything but force you to draw closer to God in some way. If you're not a person of faith, I think this, I don't see how this situation could not force you into asking questions about life and the things that are going on and where you fit in all of that. And I think if, if we don't draw closer to God, then, then we've lost an opportunity here. James said in chapter four and verse number eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He's talking about being friends of the world there and leaving behind all the worldly lust and the things that we desire out of the world and the things that we wanna do that are sinful and all those pleasures that, that we see there. And we've been forced to leave some of those things behind. Let's remember this when this is all over. In chapter one, he also says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, he's talking about persecution here, not a pandemic, but he, he does call out that there's trials of various kinds. And there are gonna be trials of various kinds in our lives. We're gonna have family problems, we're going to have health problems, we're going to lose loved ones, all these various things that we go through. And we should know that, that those, those things do test our faith, but if we'll remain faithful in that, it produces a steadfastness. And that's why God allows these things to happen, because it can increase our faith. People all the time want to answer that question, why do bad things happen to good people? The answer is sometimes it's our own fault, sometimes it's the fault of other sinful men but at the end of the day, bad times will, will often produce good results. They should produce, they should produce an increased faith, not necessarily good results, but they should produce an increased faith in us drawing closer to God. Romans chapter eight and verse number 26, he says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray. The spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What kind of things have you prayed about in this situation? Maybe, maybe you don't even know what to pray about. There's been times where I've kind of not even known what to pray about in this situation. Certainly times in my life where I felt the need to pray but don't really know what to say or don't know how to ask that. He said it doesn't matter. That's what the Spirit does on our behalf. The Spirit intercedes for us in that. And I like how he says that, with groanings too deep for words. It's, 
the Spirit intercedes to such an extent that you can't, it can't even be put into words to describe that. And God will search our hearts. So if you find yourself struggling with that situation, pray about it. It doesn't matter if you know exactly what to say or how to pray. Talk to God about it, and, and he'll search your heart. He'll search for that. It'll draw us closer to him. And finally, this morning, one of the things that I've noticed through all this that I think that we would be remiss if we didn't talk about or think about is the fact that there are things that are truly common to all men. You know, I remember hearing people my whole life, you know, trying to make points and applications about the sinfulness of man and things like that, talking about the whole death and taxes thing, right? Those are the things common to men. Everybody has to pay taxes and everybody dies. And then people say, well, there's plenty of people that skip out on the tax part of that, so, so truly death is the only thing common in that situation. But I, I think through this whole situation, you know, I think about all the, all the various classes of society that we've come up with, socioeconomic and money and all those things that we classify, you know, rich people and poor people and race and gender and, you know, sports abilities and you know, fame and all the, all the things that go with that, all the various classes that we define in our society. And not a single one of those has not been touched by this situation. You see all the celebrities and athletes and people on Twitter saying, hey, I've got COVID-19 or whatever. I remember Tom Hanks was one of the early ones, right? When this thing got started really going haywire, Tom Hanks has COVID. Well, what does that mean? You know, it's like, you know, you, I, I remember as a kid hearing about Magic Johnson contracting HIV, it was sort of like, oh, he's dying tomorrow. And then, you know, whatever, 20 years later, Magic Johnson's still around. And COVID's kind of like that too, right? It's, but it's touched everyone. Oh, there's three White House staffers that have COVID-19 now. So has President Trump and Vice President Pence been exposed or whatever? Everybody's been touched by this in some way. And again, regardless of your opinions on that, it's the, the, the impact is there. Whether or not you believe that's a big deal or not, everybody can debate that in their, in their own minds. But coronavirus doesn't care how much money you have or how much power you have or whether you live in a communist regime or whether you live in a democracy or a republic or whether you're a socialist or whether you want Bernie to win or whoever. Coronavirus doesn't care. And I think for me, this situation is something that really draws to light the fact that We've spent so much time and effort worldwide thinking about this problem, and we give so little attention worldwide to the sin problem of man. And I think we would massive, it would be a massive failure for us to not consider that as we think about lessons we can learn from this and how that we all have a common problem, and there's a common solution available to everyone as well. Romans chapter 2 and verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. It doesn't matter the race, it doesn't matter your social status or economic status or what position you hold, it doesn't matter. Romans chapter 14 and verse number 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. 
I think if we will understand this, it'll refocus our mission. And maybe that's what we should learn the most out of this whole situation, to refocus our lives. You know, there's gonna be an opportunity like we talked about to go back to some sense of normal. You know, we're already kind of stepping there a little bit. Now, maybe this whole thing takes a step back and fires up and all that, I don't know. But at some point, there's gonna be normal again. We're gonna be going back to people that are working from home are gonna go back to the office and work. The kids are gonna go back to school at some point. People are gonna start up sports leagues again and going to events and ball games and concerts and all that stuff. Movie theater's already opening, I think. There's gonna be a chance to go back to normal again. Let's learn lessons from this time on how we can do a better job of serving God. And when we go back to normal, not forget those lessons because something's gonna happen again in the future. And we don't wanna say we spent this five years in between or whatever it is doing nothing. Let's use this difficult time to give thanks to God and count our blessing and be determined not to take for granted certain things when this is all over again. Let's don't be a year from now forgetting how great it is to assemble together and taking that for granted. Because a month ago, everybody knew that lesson. And that meant something to everybody. Six months from now, it may not. And let's don't forget that thing, these things. And I hope that um, as you think about this time that we've all experience that you'll think about some lessons we can learn. There's certainly many more we can talk about, and everybody kind of has their own perspective of this thing. But I hope this will at least encourage you to give some thought to these things, and it will encourage you to draw closer to God. Think about Him more in your lives. You know, think about Him more and us less. Maybe that's how we summarize this whole thing, that we should, that we should do a better job of that. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with anything, have any kind of a need that you need help with. Maybe it is a situation. Maybe it's been really difficult for you. Pray about that thing. And we're happy to help you with that and do that with you and for you this morning. And if you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel, think about this time that we're in and the questions that you should ask yourself in this time that we're in. And I don't, as I look around, I've recognized all the faces here this morning. So I don't know that there's anybody here in that category, but If you've never obeyed the gospel this morning, give some thought to that. Think about what your creator wants from you and think about the world that you live in and how fragile that thing is and how little control you have over that situation and let it draw you closer to God. And if you've never obeyed the gospel, we encourage you to do that this morning as well. If there's anything, any need that you have or anything that we can help you with, we sing a song of invitation. We're gonna do that at this time and invite you to come make that need known and we'll help you with that as we stand and sing.